With an example of turning desires into prayers, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. His heart's desire became his prayer life. It translated into these passionate pleas and passionate prayers to God. He says, hey, my heart's desire, well, my heart's desire is that Israel's saved. And guess what? I don't only have the desire, but I pray for it. That's my heart. I want, well, I want to see them saved, and so I pray about it. This is amazing grace. Spiritual desires and goals, how are they achieved? Not without prayer, as we'll be reminded today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. That comes to our attention as we continue in Romans. In chapter 10, we'll hear about Paul's desire for the salvation of Israel and prays for it intensely. It's a great example that'll translate into our daily lives as well. Here to tell us how from Romans chapter 10 and verse one is Pastor Ed. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And that's the heart of Paul. The heart of Paul is that his fellow Jews are saved. Remember back in chapter 9, verse 1, he said, I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Because I could wish that my myself were accursed from Christ, that I would be lost, I'll give up my salvation, I will continue to be at odds with God my entire life if my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they were saved, that their lives would be changed. I would rather give up my, my own salvation, Paul says, if it, the Jews would be saved. You know, sometimes we misunderstand Paul to think, well, he's just this theological giant, just jotting down these major themes and these major understandings. And man, he's a heavy guy, and what he writes is very difficult. Even Peter thought that for a time. He says, yeah, some of the things Paul writes are very difficult, but don't misunderstand the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life into thinking that he wasn't a soft-hearted man. You know, it's possible to be a godly man and a godly woman and have a very, very soft heart. As a matter of fact, I think that's very important for those of you that want to serve the Lord, to have a soft heart. And so he says in verse 1, my heart's desire. I mean, I'm talking to you from my heart. Remember chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 in Romans, Paul turns his attention to the Jews in the audience, those that would hear his letter. They're upset in a sense, with him, because what's going on with God? Why would he set Israel aside and deal primarily with the Gentiles? And, well, he's answering those questions. And right here in the beginning, he just wants us to know, you know, this is my heart's desire. I want to see Israel saved. I bear them witness, verse 2, that they have a zeal for God. And indeed, they have a zeal for God. You know, the Jews had so many opportunities to be saved. They were given such great privileges they had so much given him. They were the vessel that God chose to bring the good news of salvation into the world. They were given so much. They were given and seen firsthand the grace of God, how God forgave them, 
consistently and sovereignly and faithfully was good to them. And their response, for the most part, was resistance and rejection. Now, it's one thing to have a heart's desire. It's another thing to have a heart's desire that's inspired by God. But what I have found is too many people just stop right there. I've got this desire, and I'd really love to see this happen. And I've got that desire, and I'd really love to see God move in this way. And I'd really like to see this happen over here. And I'd really like to see... And what happens is we have these desires in our life, but, but they never really materialize into anything because I think we don't follow the pattern of Paul here. See, with the pattern of Paul, he has not only heart's desire, but notice in verse 1, his heart's desire became his prayer life. It translated into these passionate pleas and passionate prayers to God. He says, hey, my heart's desire, well, my heart's desire is that Israel's saved. And guess what? I don't only have the desire, but I pray for it. That's my heart. I want, well, I want to see them saved, and so I pray about it. So perhaps you're, my heart's desire is to see my, my marriage get stronger this year. Okay, so how often are you praying for it? How often are you praying for it with your spouse? Oh, I want to see my kids grow up to be godly. Fantastic. I do too, but how often are we praying for it? I'd love to see this fruitful youth group in our church and just continue to expand and continue to grow. For Okay, great, that's a great desire, but, but where's your prayer life on it? How big of a mistake we make when we have these desires, they don't get translated to anything. They're just desires. I just got this desire and I got that desire and I've got this on the shelf over here and I got this over here. And, and even it happens with our spiritual giftings where I've got this spiritual gift and that spiritual gift and I wonder how I can use it. I wonder what, but it never gets turned into any kind of action and prayer. And I love this, this example of Paul. He has a heart's desire, but he also prays. The desires of Paul's heart naturally flow into prayer. When he prayed, he prayed from the heart. You know, we have a lot of tools to use in our prayer life. And we encourage them. You know, here at the fellowship, you have the email prayer chain. We've got prayer lists on the back table. We continue to share prayer requests with one another. You might even journal, and that becomes a prayer journal of sorts. But listen, all of those tools, if they're not developing a passionate, heartfelt prayer, they're just that. They're just tools, just being used mechanically. And in the tools that we use in prayer, what God is shooting for is our heart. Well, let me show you what that looks like. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. As Paul is writing to this young pastor, this young leader, he says, Timothy, I want you to understand what it looks like in the church. I want to explain to you, and he says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 of 1 Timothy, he begins to explain the foundation of any church, the foundation of any strong church, the foundation of any strong believer. He says, therefore, I exhort... And that word exhort means I strongly urge. I really want you to get this. I want to push you forward in this, Timothy. I'm exhorting you. It's not just a kind suggestion, but it's a strong exhortation. It's a strong word. I exhort you first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, Timothy, a strong church should be known not by their, well, not by their building, not by their size, 
not by their gathering, not by well, all sorts of measurements are being used that churches are known by today, but Paul says you really want to be known. You be known as a place and a people of prayer. Let that be your reputation. That that's a praying church. That that's a praying congregation. That that's a group that when the times get tough, they don't talk about prayer, they pray. And even here in the fellowship, the opportunities to pray corporately, we have opportunities to pray with the men specifically. We have opportunities to pray with the women specifically. We pray before services. We pray after services. And just recently, we began prayer during service just to pray. We have week-long times of prayer and fasting. We have opportunities to have prayer requests overseen. We have lists of those precious people in the military that are from our congregation connected to our families that we intercede for and we pray that they might come home safely. We pray for the kids that and the young people that are in colleges around the metro area and around the world for that matter, seeking and praying. He says, don't be known for your size or your outreach or all. Be known as a people of prayer that's connected passionately to the things of God that your heart's desire are being lived out by God. Because when you pray, God begins to confirm whether it's a desire of your heart or it's a desire that he has put in your heart. The fuel of the ministry spiritually is prayer. And I thank you as a church that you are known for your prayer, that when things get tough, that this is a praying church, that this isn't just a church. You guys aren't just a group, but we talk about it. But it's happening all over the place. You even have plans that you just stop. You know, I need to pray. I learned that years ago. It was so easy for me to walk through the halls of the church that I was at and talk to so many people. And and as you talk to so many people, so many needs come up. So many things are happening. And I got into this habit of, you know, I'll pray for you. Sometimes I did pray for those folks. Sometimes I I thought through, and when I got home, I began to pray, you know, this guy in the hallway and this guy in the parking lot and this guy over here. But you know, there were times when I didn't. I forgot. I'll pray for you, but I really didn't. Until I learned that the best thing to do when needs are presented before me is to stop what I'm doing, and let's just pray right now. That way I don't need to worry about it, like going home and try to think about it. I mean, right now, the Lord's put you in my life right now, right here in front of me. I know I've got a schedule, and I know I've got things to go. It's amazing because sometimes people will come to me and go, you know, Pastor Ed, I know you're busy. And so I didn't want to call you here. I don't want to email you here because I know you're busy. But listen, church, I'm busy because God's blessed me to serve you. It'd be kind of sad if everybody thought, well, Ed's busy, and I'm not doing anything. I'm just twiddling my thumbs. Doo, doo, doo. I wonder what's going on. I don't have anything to do. So it's true. There's a busyness in my life. But the busyness in my life is the joy of my life. That's why I'm here. I serve. I love Jesus Christ. I I love to have things that are filling up my schedule. I love to have things overflow so the precious men and women, the staff around me can come alongside and the ministry can expand. But of course we're busy, but we're never too busy to pray for someone. We're never too busy just to stop and go, you know, Lord, you put this person on my heart, I should call them. I should text them. I should send them a note. Lord, you have put them on my heart. I I wasn't thinking about them when I woke up, but I'm thinking about them now. So how can I connect with them? How can I reach out to them? How can I continually try to be that bridge of ministering and encouraging people? Paul tells Timothy, you know what? Make sure your church is praying. And he mentions four types of prayer here. If you're taking notes, jot them down. The first one is supplications. That's a fancy word for requests. He says, let your prayers be filled with requests. And I'm glad he didn't stop there. A lot of believers do stop there and just have requests, have requests, have requests, have requests. It's it's part of prayer. 
I don't think you should feel bad about requesting from the Lord, but it's only part. And so he says, make your prayers filled with supplications. Then he says prayers. That's the second one there. That's just a general word. It means praying. It just means communicating with God. It just means, hey, let your, let your life be filled with talking to God. You can talk to God with your eyes open. Did you know that? I mean, you don't ever want to just close your eyes while you're driving and start to pray. Oh, dear Lord, you don't want to do that. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray talking. You can pray in your head. You, you can pray with others. You can, prayer can happen all sorts of ways. And he says, just make your life one of prayer. And then he says, thirdly, intercessions. That's to pray for others. When you intercede, the word literally means to stand in the gap. And so when you're praying for someone's marriage, you're interceding. When you're praying for someone's finances, you're interceding. When you're praying for someone to get a job, you're interceding. And so that gives your opportunity. So you have some requests maybe for yourself, maybe for others. When the requests are for others, you're interceding. So let your prayer be full of intercessions. And then finally, he says also thanksgiving, that we just remember that God is always listening and answering our prayers. And then he says, why would we do this? Verse 3, because it's good. It's a good thing to be a people of prayer. It's a good thing, like Paul showed us in Romans 10, my heart's desire was turned into prayer. Because I know that what's on my heart, God can only do. Only God can change their hearts. Only God can make the gospel explode in their life. And so my heart's desire, I'm not going to jump in in the flesh and try to make it happen. I'm just going to take my desires and say, oh, Lord, if you could do this, and how would you want to do this, and what does this look like? Because so much of what our heart's desires are reserved just for what God can do, and it stretches us. And it's a good thing to pray, and it's acceptable, he says in verse 3, in the sight of God. And notice, when your life is filled with prayer, when your life and your heart's desires are being translated into prayer, inevitably, you're going to be praying for the salvation of people. That's where it's going to take you. It's going to take you all the way, and finally you're going to go, you know what? Well, let's take it for, let's get an example here. Let's say that you have a real bona fide enemy in your life, like somebody that you don't like and they don't like you. And you're like, you'd rather not it happen, but right now you just can't see any way that things are going to change. And so you begin to pray for that person by name. And you just begin to pray with your heart, you know, this is how I feel, this is what they're doing. Inevitably, as you're praying for your enemy, it's going to lead you. Well, it's going to lead you to ask for God to change their heart. If they're an unbeliever, you're going to pray for their salvation. Because listen, the person in your life you're not getting along with, wouldn't them getting saved change everything? I mean, it would just change everything. They, it, it would change their outlook. It would change their behavior. It would change everything about them. Oh, just get, you know, if they would just get saved. You pray for your ex-wife, your ex-husband. You know, they just need to get saved. That would change everything. We wouldn't have to keep going to court. We wouldn't have to be keep going. We, it would just, if they just get saved. And the prayers start out like, I'm, I'm messed up over this, Lord. But it ends with, but Lord, save them. Maybe it's a believer you're praying for. And it's not salvation that you're looking for, but repentance in their life. Perhaps the difficulty you're having with them is because they're not obedient to the Lord. And they, as you're praying for them, you're just like, Lord, would they, they just need to repent. Notice he says in verse 4 that he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's where your prayers will take you. Praying that people would come to the knowledge of the truth, that they would understand the truth. Because as you and I gain more understanding of the truth, our lives change. Jot this one down in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. It's God's desire through prayer that people get saved. Listen to this. Ezekiel 33 says, God does, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's God's heart. I don't have any pleasure with the wicked dying in their sin. Another one you can jot down is 2 Peter chapter 3. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says that God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I mean, that's God's heart. And yet there are times when our hearts aren't there, I know. We get distracted, we get diverted. And yet when we enter into prayer, God begins to change our hearts. Oh, I know we're going to pray for their salvation, but as you're praying for someone, your heart begins to soften. You're like, you know, such and such, so and so, da-da. And then the Lord begins to say, well, do you have any issue with this? Is there anything in your life? And then you might say, no, Lord, I'm perfect. I'm great. I'm, yeah, man, it's my heart too. Yes. I've got problems with this person. I'm in the flesh and it's hard to walk in the spirit. And God begins to minister to you and give you just a little bit more of a soft heart and a little bit more of a soft heart. And before you know it, well, before you know it, you become an ambassador of Jesus Christ in the situation. Because after all, you're seeking God. You and I, we're the Christians. We're the ones filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the ones strengthened by God. We're the ones that God has chosen to use as vessels in this world of love and of mercy and of joy. Now, back in Romans chapter 10, Paul's heart, it becomes a prayer. And Paul says, I know, I know the Jews because I was there. And, you know, some of the greatest ministry in your life is ministering to people that have gone through what you've gone through. That your testimony just hits their heart because that's what they've gone through. And God is able to connect to you. And you go, you struggle with this? Well, now God drops somebody in your life that's struggling with the same exact thing. And you can walk alongside of them. Paul's right there. He says, my heart's desire turn into prayer. I know them. I was one of them. He says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. And it's true. Circle that word zeal in verse 2. You can write next to it, a burning hot desire. That's what it means. They had a burning hot desire for God. They were on fire for God. And indeed, the Jewish people are a very zealous and sincere people for God. The history of Jewish zeal dates back far before the coming of the Messiah. They're a wonderful people, zealous for God. Jewish children from an early age, especially the boys, are carefully taught the Old Testament, the Torah. But you know, they were also zealous for Jewish traditions. And they began to mix Jewish traditions. Flip over to Matthew chapter 15. Let me show you what I mean as Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. They began to take the traditions of man and elevate them over the word of God. And so they had this zeal for God. They started out okay, but they ended up very poorly because as we learn, Jesus became a rock of offense to them. Their own Messiah became a stumbling block to them because they had their traditions and they had the law. And so they were going to cling to their traditions and they were going to cling to the law and they weren't going to let go of it. And so by the time Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 15, I'll draw your attention to verse 7, he uses a heavy-duty word with the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. Now that's a hard word to receive, is it not? How many of you like really being called a hypocrite? But you know what? If you hear people are coming your way saying, hey, you know what, that's pretty hypocritical. There might be some truth in that. They might be seeing some inconsistencies in your life and mine. And you know, as difficult as it is to hear that word, we need to hear it. We don't want to get too far off. We don't want to have a zeal for God and, and just get all crazy for the things of God and have these inconsistencies in our lives. I mean, from fellow believers, it's hard to receive. I can't imagine what it's like. Well, I know that in my own prayer time, there are times when God will just drop that word in my heart. He'll say, you're a hypocrite, Ed. You, you can't go in that direction. 
You can't be living this and thinking this and going through your, your hypocrite. I mean, it's a heavy word, but we need to hear it. Notice what was hypocritical about them. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth, but honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's all that religious exterior, isn't it? Got my church face, got my church clothes, got my church attitude, got my church life. Here I am. Look at everyone, the strong Christian. But when you walk out the door, you head out into the world, your lips are saying great things, your life seems to be, but in your heart, you're so far from God. The problem with that is really only you know. You know where you're at. Maybe you learn the lingo. You got the Bible, you got the clothes, you got the actions, you've kind of watched, you're an observer. And, and so in the church setting, you know how to act, you know what to say, you, you know how to say, hey, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But in your heart, you have no connection. It's a bad place to be. He says, notice, in vain, verse 9, they worship me. It's empty. It's empty worship when our hearts aren't there. And notice, in vanity, they taught doctrines of men they taught teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. They elevated the traditions of man over this clear teaching of the word. And lest we think it's only them then, it's happening today throughout the church where philosophies of men are filling the pulpit. I don't know how it's possible, but it has become very prevalent in many churches today that they'll even have unbelievers in the pulpit, men and women that don't even love God somehow trying to represent God, teaching as doctrines, commandments of men. And the knowledge of God has been modified and changed and adjusted and even lost throughout the years. For the Jew, there was no longer a dependence upon God's word, but instead the words of rabbis. And they would quote the rabbis over and over again. The rabbi so-and-so said this, and rabbi so-and-so said that. And they distanced themselves completely from the word of God. And that's one of the dangers that, that you face and I face every day of our lives. And that is not to be men and women of God's word. To let it soak in, to think that just an hour that we spend, an hour and a half invested in our spiritual life is going to sustain you for all seven days. That's not going to happen. You truly and I truly need to have this continual abiding relationship in Jesus Christ, knowing God's word for ourselves. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our apps too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, then click Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We're consistently hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God. Your gifts help to make that possible. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Pastor Chuck explores those questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, with all the stay-at-home and shelter-in-place orders and quarantines in recent weeks, we've made some changes here at Calvary Church. Could you fill our listeners in on what we're up to these days? 
we have all these opportunities where you can join us live and we are to the best of our ability keeping our services live all of our services again to keep some regularity in our ministry so we stream saturday nights at 6 p.m this is all mountain standard time sunday mornings at 8:45 and 10:45 and we have a wednesday night bible study at 7 p.m all of those are streamed online uh, right from the sanctuary and they're also aired live through our Grace FM radio network. And actually, these studies are what get edited for Abounding Grace. Um, so join us. Uh, go to calvaryco.church. That's calvaryco, stands for Colorado, calvaryco.church. Or download our, our free app, and you can stay connected with us through the app, online, Facebook Live, YouTube channel, all of those things. We have Roku, Apple TV, all of it uh, that is available to minister the gospel and just encourage you in a very discouraging time. Just go to calvaryco.church to watch those services. Then join us next time when we'll pick up where we left off in Romans right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 